0: I say a lot in every episode take care of yourself first your adult relationship second and your children third because in that way you do your best work with your children and we talk a lot about part one self-care and part three child care and we need to talk about number two and so this is one of those special episodes where we're going to talk about the adult relationship care. This is my interview series with Dr. Hans Watson, who I believe has a very, very wonderful way of bringing the clinical jargon to the layman and just gets us all on the same page with what is actually going on inside our brains, inside our bodies, and inside our hearts. This one is about depression in your children and your marriage when we see the influence that our children grow up with become tainted with stress with you know uh, the, the financial spiritual mental emotional physical disruption dysfunction and how it comes out in the children so we're going to use depression and children depression and marriage as a theme for what we're talking about but i think you're going to see as you listen to dr watson we're going to learn but what's going on in our kids is going on in our marriage. That there is a golden thread. We know that if it's going on in us and we're not sleeping, not eating, not taking care of our bodies, our children suffer. Our relationships do as well. So Dr. Watson, thank you for bringing On Beyond Risk of Back. You really have, do have a great way of bringing the, uh, that higher education of human behavior to everyone to understand. So I thank you for that.
1: Well, you're welcome it's good to be here yet again I I really enjoy this topic one of the, my favorite things to do once I started learning psychodynamics and psychoanalytics was to be able to help people in their marriage see what was going on and see how it applied to their real life and uh, that's been that's been something I have latched on to and uh, I found to be very impactful I, I subscribed to uh, there was an old uh, a theorist there, Salvador Minuchin was his name, and many people have heard, heard of Minuchin. But he was the first one to actually look at families and say, hey, can I cure people of their eating disorders by looking at the family and making sure the family becomes healthier? And surprise, surprise, it did work. As the family got healthier, there was no need for that child to have an eating disorder. And so uh, after studying him as well as many others, I finally started seeing, as you said, the golden thread and what a beautiful thing because now I've been able to help so many families and as I help marriages identify how to be healthier, I found that many children's anxiety and depression has also resolved as the marital problems resolved. And so, while this isn't a cure-all for all depression and anxiety, it certainly has a potent effect. The marriage by itself affects every part of of a child's life, as well as usually both partners in the marriage. So I'm excited for this topic today.
0: So me too. Let's start with the depression piece. And I want to say that there's something you said in the episode about depression and anxiety in children that really struck me. And I've begun to plagiarize it and repeat it like it's my own, but it's not. This one's one of yours and it's a good one. And it was that the the depressed brain is so low energetically it's on power saver mode it's on it's on your brain is on its own life support that it's literally just trying to breathe it's just trying to get through the day and having having happiness being happy volunteering at the humane society going to the gym taking a shower takes energy from the prefrontal cortex the frontal lobes that the brain just doesn't have it's just still trying to breathe and as we talk about depression and marriage what's amazing to me is that that is a perfect allegory that's a perfect metaphor for what i see marriages going through when the kids are struggling. they go into like low maintenance mode they go into survival mode they, the relationship is just trying to breathe is this let's let's start with the question? Is this a is the chicken or egg? What's going on first? Is it the marriage or is it the kid? Is it different each time? What are your thoughts?
1: Well, you've given me the impossible question of the chicken and the egg, and I, I like that. That's a that's a good play on your part. Um, and the answer is yes, you know, <laughs> to both. So of um, course, it is. And what we're looking at here is that oftentimes our children learn from experiences that our parents had, because then the parents use that in their own life, in their own coping mechanisms, and they they don't quite understand. Uh, One example I had was uh, one of my my mentors told me that he had worked with a, a wonderful woman who had come to him and said she had always taken, and when they made their roast, she had always cut the end of the roast off put that on the side, and then put the whole roast into the pan and done that. And one day her mother came and said, why do you cut the end of the roast off? She said, well, that's the way that grandma taught me to do it. And she only learned then that, well, the only reason grandma did that is because grandma didn't own a pot big enough to hold a full roast. So she had to cut the end off just to make it fit. Yet that's how she would learned. And for years she'd been cutting the end off, even though she had a pan every bit big enough (laughs) to hold the roast. And so our wow. moms do that for our kids. They're cutting the end of the roast off because that's all they know to do, even though they have a pan big enough now to hold a whole roast without having to cut the end off.
0: That's an amazing example of how epigenetics works. I mean, epigenetics comes off. First of all, the name of it itself is intimidating, but is literally the trauma of influence. You know where, where and, and I've used this before. I believe you and I have talked this about it in this past, but if grandma had got bitten by a snake and mom saw it, then every time mom sees a snake, she remembers the pain and, and trauma that grandma went through. So mom's scared of snakes. And then she sees a snake near her daughter. And regardless whether the snake is a garter snake or, you know, the most poisonous snake on the planet, her reaction's the same. It's just scream and yell and shake and cry. And now daughter's scared of snakes. And daughter maybe would have been a snake handler. You know, and this is how the fear of mice gets passed on. The fear of spiders gets passed on. And actual trauma gets passed on if great-great-grandfather had been a slave and that information and that experience continues to get passed down into the family, we are going to experience racism differently than other people would. And and that's epigenetics. And so now we're talking about the influence of a marriage. But, but we're dealing with a marriage that could be suffering.
1: Um, a marriage is much more potent than most other traumas or influences you could have in your life because many children form their view of the world based based largely on, is, is a better way of saying that, based largely on what they observe in their parents' marriage. And don't pretend that your kids aren't learning it. They are picking up on things that we think they are not. Kids are very, very intuitive at picking up on that stuff. So this is a potent one that, yes, I love that we're talking about it.
0: Okay, so now let's talk about this chicken and egg thing, because it may be that everything was going hunky-dory, and now your kid begins to express suicidality, and we're seeing the emergence of depression or anxiety or self-harm or a desire to use drugs, and we're wondering if there was a trauma and I have had parents who can very much identify their struggles. And I, I have had parents who have literally come to me and said, I don't know where this is coming from. We're, we're doing great. So we're, what can we do? We always need to, as therapists and mental health workers, say, tell me about your mother. Tell me about your father. How was their marriage? Was there a divorce?
1: Well, that, that question is going to bring up many different opinions as those people who uh, follow psychodynamic and psychoanalytic are going to say, yes, that all influences the epigenetics. And, and those people who, who don't want to dedicate the time to learning those intense, nuanced things are going to tell you, no, behavior is all that matters. So I'm going to tell you yes and no. It, it, like I always do, I refuse to take a, a definitive stance on who's right and who's wrong. I get to pick and choose the parts that help my patients from everybody. And I, that's what we're going to do here. And the, the answer is you can't automatically say a child who's struggling that it's a result of the marriage. But I've also never found a single marriage where it didn't have some influence. And so it's you can't blame them, but you also can't say it has no influence. Both of those would be incorrect assumptions. Um and and what one of the things that, that we talked about early on with our resiliency
0: uh, yeah, podcast
1: that you and I that did. was
0: our first call yeah that was the first episode about resiliency building resiliency in kids
1: yes and we see there many times the theme of that resiliency we see that that the children learn how to deal with adversity and many times it's how the parents deal with marital discord or adversity that the kids will learn and the parents are completely unaware so if you have a marriage where you don't ever confront differences that you have with your your spouse the children like it or not on some level are going to learn that the only way they can deal with discord socially is to avoid and run away Because that's all they've seen their their parents do. Or uh, when it gets really intense, that's what they've seen their parents do. And so even if the parents try to keep it private, like I said, they're very intuitive and that unconscious will pick up on how they're dealing with that.
0: Are you talking about all the way down to a body language level? The statistics that I have last heard, when you talk about a child's intuition, the statistics that I have last heard, because I teach body language workshops to therapists, and you know, they say 7% is verbal communication. Another 13% is intonation of the verbal communication. For example, I can say, I love you. And that, that doesn't mean I love you. But well, it doesn't mean I don't. But it doesn't mean the rest is all body language. That, that everything is communicated through like a child you're saying that a child knows that mom and dad are talking about a problem because they're walking around, they're stiff, they got tight lips, their back's tense, my dad's neck is jutted forward, but they're not saying anything negative to each other, but they're not communicating like I saw them communicate on Sunday when they were holding hands and relaxed. Like, are children that intuitive?
1: Yes, think of it this way. Think of a good friend that you have And you can tell oftentimes when they're not having a good day, even if they say to you, I've never been better. And you'll be like, come on, really? You've never been better? Now take it to somebody who's even on a closer level, which is a family member. You don't think that they're gonna have at least the intuition that a good friend has multiplied by many times. And so even if you're not saying something, That will be picked up, even if it's on the unconscious level, because remember, the unconscious is is much more observant than anything our conscious could identify. That's why it helps us learn potential threats. And so yes is the answer, but it's magnified when it's a family member that knows us so intimately as living in the same home and growing up and, and emotionally being connected like a parent and child
0: are. Okay. So this is bringing me to a question that I think is going to hurt a lot of parents, but I need to ask it because again, I have my parents, the parents, my listeners voice in my head. Is divorce traumatic? Is it trauma?
1: You know, divorce is, you're right. It, it does hurt a lot of parents. And and I, I try to be as kind and as sy- sympathetic as I can when I bring this up I have never met a child, um, even adolescent children, who when their parents divorce, at least on an unconscious and sometimes it's even a conscious level, that children blame themselves every single time that I've had a patient. They blame themselves for having been a child that caused the, the split up of their parents. Oh, and every one of okay. them so this- me times where their parents told them, this is not your fault. And sometimes it took us a year of psychotherapy for that to actually ring true to them to where they realized it and were able to work through it.
0: All right. So this is exactly what we're talking about on this phone call. Your child's depressed, your marriage's depressed. You get divorced with your spouse. Suddenly your child is divorcing what? Why would a child who's watched the two of you fight think it has something to do with them? Why would this dysfunction in this relationship turn into a dysfunction in a child?
1: Very good. Yes. So it actually has, once again, you're going to hear me repeat this. It has to do with the frontal lobe. Everybody's so surprised that I'm talking about the frontal lobe again. (laughs) But the frontal lobe doesn't stop developing until most children turn into 25, 26 years old. The frontal lobe is the part of the brain that does the analysis to be able to put that together. That is quite a mature thing to recognize that you aren't the center of the universe. And so what we see is they assume based on this incomplete development of their frontal lobe that they are still the center of the universe, therefore they must have
0: Caused
1: this horrible thing to happen because when good things happen in the marriage, parents are correctly very quick to say, It's so wonderful having you in our family. We're so grateful to have you. And what does that child learn on an unconscious level? I am causing them to be happy today. I have done a great thing. So you can see how that keeps them in the center of the universe, which is okay. There's nothing the matter with that. Every kid should grow up thinking they are the center of the universe. And then as they mature and and they get ready, then they'll be able to have that maturation to say, I'm not the center of the universe, but I'm still important. And that's when they'll be able to have lasting and and mature relationships. What happens if you get married and you never move past that adolescent point to realize you're not the center of the universe? I just did a podcast, um, uh, University Elite, on the uh, mean girls, the queen bees where we talk about how they never matured past that. So you can see how that leads to children who aren't past that. They're not 25, 26 to start to assume they must've caused this because they're still the center of the universe.
0: Okay. So now this, there's a, right now the name is eluding me. I've been sitting here trying to think of it, but they're um, limbic resonance. That's the word that I'm looking for. Um, It's, it's a, It's a concept of psychology that if I'm feeling something, you're going to feel it too. Okay. So this harkens back to my chicken and egg. If my child is depressed, do I need to look for depression in my marriage, in myself? If my child is in survival mode, are you suggesting that I am literally need to look, we talk about the golden thread a couple times, directly into my marriage and say, how is my marriage Anxious. How is my marriage bipolar? How is my marriage dependent? How is my marriage maladaptive coping strategy? Because I'm seeing it in my kid, and if I'm seeing it in my kid, they're picking up the vibration somewhere.
1: Yes, and I'll even say that's what makes parenting so hard. Because you can be doing things to where you have a good marriage and you're doing most everything right, but this may be an indication that something that's very impactful for your child even though you're a good you're a good spouse you're doing good things there may be one thing that's very impactful where you could improve a little that doesn't mean you're a bad spouse or your marriage is bad it just means there's one area maybe two in some cases where if you improve them You could change the whole dynamic for this individual and their view of the world. Many, many good marriages with good people who are trying their hardest have eating disordered children. Does that mean that they're doing something wrong? No, not necessarily, but does it mean they can still help their children? If then they go from being good to great. Well, absolutely. We see that all the time.
0: Now this, this, you know, it's something you just, you know, will it help the child? Will it fix my child if I go and fix my marriage? The answer is, I don't know. Like, it, like it, it all depends on how entrenched this maladaptive coping strategy is in the kid. But you are setting the model of repair when self is in pain, right? Healthy repair versus a maladaptive strategy to cover up the pain. If you're saying, kid's, kid's depressed oh, I have found the depression in my marriage where we are just in in low maintenance mode and survival mode and aren't really putting in the energy for healing. We change that. The kid may not be able to follow it just yet, but you still have modeled correct and continue. And that's that's a big deal.
1: I love that. Yes is I love what, the way you said that. I had one example where I uh, I accepted a, ch- a young child, he was I think 12 years old into psychotherapy and um And I started working with the child, and and that child was very, very immature for uh, his age. He emotionally was much younger. And um, so we started working. And in the end, the thing that made the biggest difference is I continued to work with the child, but I started doing every other week, where one week I was working with a child, and the second week I was working with the parents. And as I worked with those parents, one of the things I found was that mother and that father – when they were working together, they would um, set an expectation that happiness only happens with an absence of adversity. Everything wow. else in their marriage was was really good. One of the happier marriages I've seen, but uh, the the mother actually held a belief that you will never be able to be truly happy and enjoy life unless you find a state of Zen where there's an absence of adversity. And this resulted in such a depression that this child for about four years had not emotionally uh, developed and he was far behind. And so a lot of my work there was stopping dad from enabling mom when she, when she, in trying to avoid any adversity and the, in fact, it wasn't in their marriage. They were very good at at resolving their marriage adversity, but he would enable anywhere outside of their marriage. She could just avoid adversity. So we worked on that when mom started confronting adversity, not everything, but just started. I watched that child over three to four weeks come in, bright as can be. And he started talking about how happy he was in spite of the adversity he was facing. There was so much good in his life that it was outweighing the negative. And so you can see how they had a good marriage. They had it worked out between them, but there was one thing mom could improve, and it was the difference between, and in fact, I ended up very quickly stopping the medication, the antidepressant for this this young child, And you watched him go from, uh, I would say, eight to nine years old maturity-wise. Within 12 months, he was caught up to a a, 13 by then, 13-year-old's maturity. And he had made friends his own age. He was just excelling in school. They talked about his grades going from Cs to As and Bs. It was just wonderful to see.
0: Okay. So now struggling – as as I asked the question, you started talking. I had struggling parent – a voice pop up in my head again. And it said – Um, what if my spouse is unwilling to look at themselves, look at us to, to make any change? My first response to that parent was, well, now you know what the problem is, but that does not solve anything. To say, your kid's doing well, your marriage is doing pretty good, you come see Dr. Watson and he says, let's let's look into your marriage to see where this anxiety, depression, uh, uh, lack of development is taking place in your marriage. And the dad's like, I'm not interested in that, I'm not coming, you need to fix my kid. Okay, well now we know where the issue actually is, but how, how do we tell a parent who's listening to this podcast, who can't get their spouse to listen to this podcast, um that they need to focus on their marriage. So this is a really prickly pair, if you will.
1: Um, and, and I've done it multiple different ways. There is no one way you can do it. It has to be a customized approach to this. And I have worked with parents uh, in order to do this, and some successful, some not. I remember one case where uh, the dad came in and he said, I'll hear what the problem is. And when I explained it to him and I said, and if you never... Are willing to come in and look at this and self-reflect you are going to to essentially put your kid into being damned into damned meaning stopped like the river is right dead, right right from progressing and the father just said that's not my problem I'm not willing to and then the therapy turned into how do I support the mother and this child so that they can oh. learn from this example and it, it ended up ending in a divorce and uh, within a couple of years um, they actually came back to my practice and uh they had the the mother had remarried and the the child had um actually uh, latched on to this stepfather who was it was quite a, a a they found a diamond in the rough if you will and um yeah it didn't it didn't save the marriage but that wasn't my job my job was to help them understand the why that was causing it give them their options and support their decisions and the dad the dad never did, and he ended up being a little bit detached from uh, the children. Uh, some people labeled him as a deadbeat. I would try to never do that, but there are times where that's the case. The other times, what I found the majority of the, of the fathers or, or mothers that were unwilling is when they came in and we just had a blunt discussion with a mental health professional that can see this that said, here's what's going to happen if you don't I would say over 90% of the parents immediately say, I didn't think it would do that. And then it's a curious thing that tends to happen. Then I tend to find those fathers come in and they deal with a lot of their damage from their growing up and that father themselves who is unwilling to do this. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's actually the more common one is, is we talk about this is the effect that it's going to have on not only you – but your kids and most every parent out there says, oh, I'll go through hell and back to make sure my kid doesn't suffer. And they'll come in and then we deal with some really hard stuff and we watch them totally transform who they are. And And that's, that's the biggest tool I have is just pointing to them. Here's why this is going to result in this in the future. Now, I admit that's quite an advanced psychodynamic yeah. and psychoanalytic uh, thing to do. And most people probably don't have that type of training to go that deep. But that's that's the one where it's pay dirt. You can't get better uh, than that.
0: Let's let's use our last fifteen minutes to talk about um some straight up skills and tools for the listener of this episode, yours and mine, um to to literally take home and get involved. I mean of course a skill is saying I'm recognizing that our kiddo's struggling. And and I'm assuming that it's spillover from us or it's spilling over into us. How about we do some family therapy as well or some couples counseling as well? But let's also talk about like some dinner table strategies.
1: I love where you're going with this. One of the biggest tools that I use to help my parents out is... I will go in and we I propose to them and, and I've never had a parent who didn't like it. And what I propose to them is do you have family goals and, and a vision of where you want your family to go? And most most families will say no, we have not made a formal family vision family goals And that's where I start with. And the reason I do that is that gives us, a, a direction to go. That is one of the first things to unify a family so that so that a child and a marriage, both of them now have a direction and we're walking together there. So the first thing we do is what's our vision and what's our goals inside that.
0: Yeah.
1: The second thing we will do on that then is is we have those parents around the dinner table is actually when I suggest it, so that you're eating and you're not just staring at each other. You have a little meatloaf there that you can look at when it gets a little uncomfortable and, and so that you can work through this without having to stare in each other's eyes. And, um, and what then they'll do is they'll talk about appropriate times where they're struggling, and come up together with ways that they could say, how can we overcome this? Uh, I'm struggling to make sure I put my socks away. And and then little Jimmy says to dad, you know, dad, what I found I do is before I even get out sit down on the chair to, to uh, I don't know, uh, to read my book, I make sure I put my socks in the hamper. Do you want to try that? And oftentimes, can you imagine how now suddenly... That child who has helped that parent to overcome it, even if it's something silly, the parents can do this simply for a way to let their kids feel this validation. And then that child goes, did you know I'm a problem solver? And they're feeling happiness even though life isn't perfect. There's still adversity. We're still working through things. But now they've, they've started to take on that mantra of I'm a problem solver. I overcome hard things. If you don't know how, come to me. I'll help you. That means they're also going to be thinking themselves, how do I overcome my own stuff?
0: You said, you talked about in the resiliency episode, you brought up kind of like a three-phrase mantra that you learned in the military about um, stopping and breathing. And wh- and, and I want to remember what that was because in this moment, when you went into little Billy's voice saying, I have an idea for your socks, my dad voice came. I was like, I don't need to learn from you about your socks because you don't fold your own and your room is, a, and that's the dad voice that doesn't want to, but this really is the most magical and powerful moment to shut the heck up and listen to your child give advice and everybody nod their heads and go, that's a really good idea, little <laughs> Billy. You are a problem solver because that developed self-concept. Do you remember what it was you said about like stop, Breathe, listen, decide—something like that. It was something. It was part of the story you told about the uh, being in the territory and having the. Um, you were transporting some pretty high-intense targets, and you ended up breaking down in not friendly territory. And you—you had a—you had a you had a, uh, a junior officer, a senior officer, freak out, and you walked away with a strategy of breathing and listening and something like that. What was that?
1: So the first thing we did is, is, is I immediately said, stop freaking out. I took a deep breath first. And so, so consciously realizing you're freaking out was the first step that I did. Right. And, and in this, because uh, I was in danger. The second step I did was literally take a deep breath. There's a physiologic reason you do that. I didn't learn this till later. But physiologically, the diaphragm goes over the vagus nerve, which is the nerve that sends the calm down signal to your body. Yes. And so as you take a deep breath, that diaphragm raises up, falls back down. It's the equivalent of massaging the vagus nerve. Massage so
0: the – which is it, part of limbic resonance, by the way. That's, yes, that's it is. the vagus the vagus nerve and limbic resonance are connected. I did not know that breathing massages the vagus.
1: Yeah, you, look at this—you're getting all sorts of things you can plagiarize, and I give you. Uh- <laughs> so, <laughs> Let me write a book the real third quick. Thing I, third thing I did was I looked and I said, "Let me take a logical view instead of a purely emotional view of what's really going on now." So, so if you were in a in a POW situation. Uh, Nick Rowe, the old uh, special forces guy that was captured in Vietnam, he said, size up the situation, put it into real context. And that's what I did. And I said, okay, I've got Afghans all around me that are providing security. I have a rolled vehicle. I'm not going anywhere. This guy's knocked out. Okay. First priority is, and it allowed me to calm down enough to do that. Dad could also do that. Let me stop. Realize that I'm a little annoyed that this little peon who just... (laughs) refused to clean up his toys, is now telling me how to clean up my socks. Second, I'm going to calm by taking a deep breath and massage that vagus. Then third, I'm going to now take and size up the situation and say, okay, what is the value? Well, the first value in dad being willing to take that feedback from little Johnny is he's demonstrating to Johnny that I'm not so emotionally fragile that I can't take suggestions from others. We know that being a know-it-all is because we're too emotionally fragile to take criticism, even if it's constructive. You're now modeling being confident enough that you can hear a suggestion. Second thing you're doing there is you're now, anytime you let somebody teach you how to do something, they take on a responsibility to be a good example themselves. You've just given yourself a tool to work Johnny over and to where then you can say, now Johnny, you were the one who taught me how to put my socks away correctly. Can you tell me why you're not using your own example to put away your Lincoln logs? Or I don't even know if Lincoln
0: logs exist anymore. but <laughs> Online they do. There's an app.
1: <laughs> so you can see that the value in that. And then third, now you're also allowing them to start taking on that identity as somebody who is able to work through and find joy even when things aren't perfect. You've modeled that, dad can be happy even though he's struggling with something as simple as putting his socks into the hamper. Right, right. And so happiness, the opposite of depression, is no longer dependent on just having an absence of adversity. Instead it's I'm finding positive, negative, and the positives bringing me happiness even though I'm working on the negative still. What a powerful, powerful mind frame to establish in your family. And simply set some goals, talk about what you're struggling with. And then the last thing we all have to do, and this is where it gets really tough, be willing to also acknowledge the things we're doing right so that they can gain the confidence and the happiness from their accomplishments. And so that one's easy to dismiss. We're quick to to dismiss that. But anytime you're around the table, it would be ideal to say, you know what? Here's what we're doing right. We're, we're killing it. Let's not stop that. Here's what we're doing wrong. Let's devise a way to do it. And then sandwich it again with, and here's something else we're doing right. So overall, we're doing pretty well. We can still work on the middle one so that we're doing. And suddenly the family takes on a, a mantra of we work on our weaknesses and we turn them into strengths. Tell me that isn't the foundation to becoming successful
0: in life. Okay. So we're looking at right now as we're wrapping up these marriage strategies, um, the, the, I love the, 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 the stop, breathe, and use, and then logic, stop, breathe, logic, um, because that, that brings you from red, the, the stopping is what you do at a red light, breathing is what you do at the yellow light. And green is go. Green is when you've thought it through and said, "All oh, right, I didn't know what to do. I know what to say to this little peon who's telling me what to do with my socks." And still, you know, um, but that, but that's great. It, talking about the vision and goals from a family, um, Doctor, I think that is one of the the things that confuses me the most: running a family, running a business, running a kingdom, running a country. Like like to do three of those four things I just mentioned, you have to have a mission statement, a vision statement, goals. You have to have this this constitution, these morals and dogma that we seem to just kind of leave to the wind or leave to the church to decide for us as a family. And what's amazing to me is when I actually say to someone, hey, is we're going to really take the family back. What's your vision for this? And pe- parents look at me cockeyed, like, "What do you mean, vision?" I'm like, "Well, do you you run a business? What's your vision for the business?" Oh, I'm going to solve problems all over. And here's my elevator pitch, and do you have one for your family? So I think having those visions and goals for the family is massive. And then talking about the struggles, really talking about the struggles.
1: So the first strategy that I would I would help people with is recognizing you are in a marathon. To get a spouse to participate that currently doesn't want to, um, and so that's the first strategy. Is if you're frustrated, you realize it's no longer a sprint; it is now a marathon. I am looking at progress I've made. I've I've run the first of the 26 miles. I've
0: run the. So second. you're saying this isn't a sprint. We're now looking for the uh, the 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 distance run. We're looking for the. This is now a longer game. That's right. Okay. Because
1: they have a reason. I've never met a mom or a dad who was resistant that didn't have a good reason, a trauma in their past. Or right, of course. So they're not just trying to abandon the family. I don't know one parent who doesn't want to be a fantastic parent. There's a good reason. And so oftentimes, if you try to make them sprint, what you're saying is run into that buzzsaw that I don't see that you do. You right. Can see why that's not. So well that's said. the first thing is realize it's a marathon. The second thing is realize when you're running this marathon, the first half of the race, if not three quarters, is going to be understanding why. And if you don't understand why and they don't understand why, then it's going to be my first step is slowly working through till they feel safe enough to admit they don't know why they're resisting this. Because then we know the next step there would be get some professional help to identify why you don't want to do this. That's the we're breaking the barrier down. Not to make them painful. We want to create a new landscape for them, and that's that's why the strategy first is patience. Second, understand why they're resistant here. Many times, once the dad understands why he's why he is um, resistant. The dad will actually be the one to say, this is garbage. I'm not going to continue to do this. And no other thing is necessary. They choose to change it themselves because they stopped, they breathed, and their logic told them, well, this was silly. I was acting on pure emotion based on an experience when I was six. But I'm not my dad. I'm not my – I had a perfect example of this. I had a very resistant uh, young man come in because he had uh, hypochondriac. He was worried about everything, dying from cancer and everything else. And I asked him when it started. It started when he had his first baby. That he was surprised when we finally put that together. So then I asked him, when did your dad leave or die? And he goes, well, I didn't never told you he did. Okay, am I wrong? Well, no, my dad left when I was five. Wow. And now he had that experience of why... Was he so focused on this? Because he had an experience of what it was like to grow up without a dad. He was terrified of dying of cancer or something else and leaving his child that way. Mm. He became aware of that. He no longer struggled with hypochondriasis to the point that he couldn't function just from learning how to do that. I didn't have to continue to treat him. He was able to work a normal job, enjoy a family life, and all these other things where he was paralyzed before just from understanding This isn't my dad. I'm not leaving them. And if I do get sick, we'll treat it then. Now, did he still have some symptoms that he fought through? Sure. But he no longer was paralyzed. And that's all it took was him understanding the why. So that should always be the first thing that anybody who is trying to drag a spouse along, understand their perspective. What caused that perspective? If you can't find it yourself, get professional help.
0: You know, that it's really amazing. It reminded me of a book by uh, Benjamin Fry. I interviewed Ben uh, uh, out many years ago in London. Um, and he, re- he gave an example where he was saying, someone comes running around the corner, their clothes are half off their body, they're screaming and just running down the street full speed. And you watch them and you're like, what is wrong with them? And then all of a sudden, a lion comes running around the corner. You would understand You gotta look for the lion. You can't just focus on the crazy person running down the street, being like, "What's, what? That was weird." Like, if you see that, you'll be like, "Should I be running too?" (laughs) Or look for the lion that's chasing him. He called it the invisible lion, but that's what trauma is. This person is, and so I love that is so compassionate to say your your husband, your wife, who's refusing or is showing treatment resistance. um, There's a look for the lion there's something chasing them. There is a belief that this is going to cause them more pain than they would experience if they did, did nothing. So you're understanding you're in the long game, see that they have a very good reason and good might not mean our, the universal uh, interpretation of good, but there is a very valid reason why they don't want to do this and they need professional help. And if they're unwilling to, this might be an even longer run. And then to add to
1: that, What are you modeling to these children? They're picking up on it. Remember, they're picking up on it. They're starting to learn to have compassion for their spouse so that their relationship is going to be more trusting to where you don't have to keep these things from each other. It's it's so trusting, we can share everything. Notice how just showing this patience, you are helping your children to have better chances of better marriages themselves because they will pick up on this. And so, it, it's really quite powerful on multiple fronts that's why i tell people all the time you don't have to fix everything just start fixing some things and other things will fall into place that you didn't yeah. even intend to fix
0: yeah all right dr watson we we've we've hit we've hit our rounded rounded hour um uh, let's let's give people uh heck i know your contact information by heart now Um uh, Let's give people a way to contact you directly and follow up with your videos and your podcasts and all the wonderful stuff you've got for listeners.
1: Yeah, excited. Uh, we're at universityelite.com. That's universityelite.com. And we do have a we have a lot of uh, stuff we're putting out now. We just finished a, uh, a, a podcast on um, why people, the psychology behind conspiracy theories and the psychology behind uh, behind um, mean girls or those queen bees in in school and when they become adults. And uh, those are all coming from one section that our our, uh, followers really love and we call it ask the doc section where they get to ask anything they want and we keep them anonymous. and, um, And then oftentimes we do podcasts off their good questions so they can always come there and see all our podcasts or if they have an interest, ask us about it and then we also have paid content there too like there's a PTSD seminars where I teach the the why behind it I teach the neurobiology we do ones on marriage communication depression and anxiety uh, and we're currently producing all kinds of new ones there uh, always coming out so uh, welcome anybody to come to universityelite.com
0: Dr. Watson from uh, Dr. Hans Watson from universityelite.com, thanks for doing this series of shows with me. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. I know we're going to be in touch for a long time. we got to keep doing some stuff. I actually wrote down a book I think you and I should co-author as, as we were talking there. I have all my notes that I'll talk you off the air. We'll just tip the tummies of the listeners. Um, but I really, there's something you said that struck me in my ADHD brain, made a page of notes while while you were talking um so I know we're going to be in contact again and uh, anytime you have a new product or a great show out or a topic don't hesitate to call call me and let's get you on another episode of beyond risk and back thanks for your time my pleasure